We continue this morning with the plight of undocumented immigrants here in the United States. In the studio with me now, we're joined by Sandra. Sandra is a member of a local family of mixed status. It's our pleasure to welcome Sandra to Sunday Morning Magazine. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you doing? All right. I'm doing great. Love that name. It's my mom's name, so can't forget that one. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I understand that you are from a mixed status family. So explain to us very, what does that mean? Mixed status family. Uh, so it talks about immigration statuses. So uh, there is at least one family member that is a citizen of the United States, um, has legal documentation. There's another family member that is undocumented. So somebody who does not have the legal paperwork to be in the country. And there's a couple other statuses in there that can be included in the family setting. One of those is a DACA status. So DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival. And these folks um, used to be young, now have been growing older and older as time passes. Um, These folks do not hold a permanent legal status, but are protected from deportation. So many of the families, including Cincinnati, are in these kinds of family settings, mixed status family settings. So as I understand it, you are originally from Mexico. Tell us Mm -hmm. about the circumstances that led you to the United States. I was born with congenital glaucoma. So I was diagnosed approximately four hours after I was born. Um, The doctors in Mexico let my parents know medical technology and Everything else in terms of the medical field was running about 10 years behind. Now, when you talk about congenital glaucoma, um, which is an eye condition that you mostly associate with older folks, you don't really see it in newborns or young folks at all. You mostly get treated with medication surgeries. In Mexico, because they were running 10 years behind in technology, they were not able to control the condition that I had. So I was on borderline being blind. And about when I was about six years old, my parents talked to the family doctor. They talked to the specialist and said, this can't continue. And the doctor said, I can't treat her anymore. We don't have the resources for her to stay with her vision. If you guys have family in the United States, we recommend you guys take the opportunity Because the United States is doing so much better in technology and whatnot. My parents did have family here in the United States, fortunately. And so through that connection, they made a really tough decision of leaving absolutely everything behind. Um, They left family. My dad was an entrepreneur. He had a great business of um, popsicles and ice cream. He left that behind. Um, We had a house of our own. We left that behind. My mom and my dad both left their parents. My mom's parents were very sick. So she left them behind and we uh, came through with a visa. Fortunately, we got granted a visa because we were economically stable. Now, if we talk about visas for just a little bit, visas are granted only to people that can afford them, that have the time and that have the ability to physically get them because you have to travel within your home country long distances to even go get one. Um, So we were granted a tourist visa, and that's how we came to the United States. So coming to America really, in a lot of ways, saved your life or afforded you an opportunity. Had you stayed in Mexico, 
you wouldn't be here today, obviously, mm-hmm. and you could possibly not have your sight. That's correct. Yes. That's cool. And so growing up with an illness coming to the United States, how did you and your family navigate through the American healthcare system? And what were some of the barriers you guys faced? Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah, <laughs> it it was very tough. It is still very tough today. Um, one of the main barriers that we faced when we when I was very young is my parents don't speak English. They didn't speak English. They understand a lot now, um, and they can defend themselves in English. But they didn't really speak it back then. They didn't have the practice. Um, so as a six, seven-year-old, I was translating for them. I was being the interpreter for them. And so how did you pick it up so quickly? Well, as a young child, you go to school and you get submerged into the culture and the language. Okay, great. Okay. (laughs) And so becoming a young interpreter translator, um, you have to tell your parents, hey, I'm not feeling good. The doctor says I'm not doing good. I have to get more and more surgeries. And so the language barrier was the main one. Um, Paying... For all these doctor visits, I've had, I'm 24 years old now, I've had 30 surgeries. And you can imagine, right, if if you're listening and you have kids, seeing your kid going through all these surgeries and having to translate with an eye patch and be like, hey, you know, your kid's not doing good. Hey, um, in Spanish, right? Like, I'm not doing great. The surgery didn't work. It's rough. It's tough, right? It's really hard. So that was a main barrier when I was young. Now that I'm older, I don't know necessarily. I have to navigate the healthcare system by myself because my parents can't navigate it for me anymore. So I had to figure out how to cover for all my medical expenses. So navigating through the medical insurance system being of DACA status, so not having any permanent legal status in this country, was far beyond tough and hard. And in case you're just tuning in this morning, you're listening to part two of our two-part series on immigration. This morning, we're talking to Sandra. She has family members who are of mixed status, undocumented as well. Yes. Um, She's here this morning to share her story. Now, you are a biology major in college. Why did you choose that field and how are you working to make a difference for other immigrant families? I fell in love with science uh, when I was in high school. I love learning about cells and organisms and chemistry and all that stuff. I hated history and I hated English. So that's how I figured out science is the way to go. (laughs) I said, I'm going to rule out all of these. And um, I was taking a genetics class uh, within the biology course and fell in love with what I was learning. And so I said, science It's going to be rough. It's going to be tough. But that's nothing new for me. Essentially, my long-term goal is to go into the medical field or have some sort of participation and interaction with patients. And looking back into my history and being a patient myself, I look at the people who helped me out the most. And the people who helped me out the most were people that looked like me, people who spoke my language, who understood the culture. And I go to the hospital to date and I see patients that look like me that are struggling because they don't understand what's going on in their bodies. They don't understand what medications do for them. They don't understand the treatment plan. And they're not able to communicate with the physician all because the struggle. Of the language barrier. Language barrier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And so I want to be there to facilitate that between patients and physicians or be a physician myself. Okay, that's awesome. And so beyond that, you are doing other work, advocating. Um, Tell me what that looks like and some of the things that you're doing there. Yes. So I started um, being in immigration advocacy work probably about six, seven years ago. Um, I started I did a couple of rallies when I was in middle school, but I was terrified. I was like, oh, no, like I can't talk to all these people about my story. I can't do it. And later I told somebody my story. I said, yeah, I went to the doctor and the doctor turned me down because I was an immigrant and because my parents didn't speak English. And she's like, that is an incredible story. And I was like, it is? Like, what? Is, how is that so different than any other immigration story? It's like, it is such a unique story because we are used to hearing that immigrants come because they're suffering violence, they're suffering uh, poverty, etc. You're suffering for health reasons. Nobody really hears that in the, in the news. And she said, we're going to take you to tell your story to some Lutheran sisters. And I was like, okay, I'll go. I went and I cried. I told my story and then the Lutheran nuns came and hugged me and they said, what can we do for you? We want to join the the movement. And I said, can you get me papers? Because I need legal status. Right. That's the only way to fix this. And they're like, no, we can't get you legal papers, but we'll work for it. And um, later on, I I understood that my story was different, right, than other stories that you hear in the news. So... Um, I got a call from a really good friend of mine that is now basically part of my family. And he said, hey, I'm doing this group. It's called Youth Educating Society. Um, it's through the Intercommunity Justice and Peace Center. Do you want to join? And I said, sign me up. And didn't realize that it became a commitment of more than six years of talking to people, educating people, telling my story, training others, and just being part of a family that understood where you were coming from. Okay. And so when you have an audience of folks listening to you, Sandra, what's your message to them? What is the biggest thing you want them to know to understand about the plight of undocumented? We all have different stories and we wouldn't be here if we didn't have to be here. Nobody moves from their home country. Nobody moves from their comfort zone if they don't have to. If they're not threatened to do so, if their life isn't being put on the line. And we all have so many different whys we are here. And we are all contributing in a small way to the community. So anytime you look to your right, your left, people that are sitting in traffic with you, people that are serving you food, uh, people that you see in the hospital, there's one of us. There's absolutely one of us. And you're looking at us. We are here and we're in your communities. And again, in case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. You're listening to part two of our two-part series on immigration. For anything that you may have missed, follow us on our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Rodney Lear on air, or you can listen to the show anytime you like. Head to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. This morning, my guest is Sandra. Sandra has family members who are of mixed status or undocumented. She's here this morning to share her story. Now, Sandra, what are some of the biggest misconceptions you believe people have about immigrants? 
one of the very first times that I told my story um, a couple years back, I shared that my sister was going to go to medical school and a lady stood up in the towards the end of the presentation and she said, your sister is stealing all the scholarships an American citizen could have. And I said, how so? She's like, well, she's taking all the opportunities an American citizen could have. I said, ma'am, DACA students do not qualify for the same scholarships that American citizens do. They're separate. Immigrants, undocumented immigrants, families of mixed status, those who are undocumented especially, are not able to receive any federal help. Um, Most of the time people say, hey, they're going to take all the food stamps and this and that. All the help is for the U.S. citizen. The person themselves that is undocumented are not able to benefit from that whatsoever. We also hear that we came here to steal jobs. Now, I don't particularly agree with that statement for many reasons, but one of the many is that we are all of our immigrants and most of them that you hear about are doing a lot of agricultural work. They're picking up um, all kinds of vegetables and fruits out there. I don't really see anybody out there that really wants to pick all those vegetables and all these fruits up. Um, But the jobs are there. And if we were stealing jobs, we would be sitting in high corporate jobs um, in a very comfortable office setting with AC on. But we're not. So let me ask you this, um, just something that I'm curious about. You talked mm-hmm. about something that really stood out to me. You talked about your parents uh, in Mexico. You owned your own house. Your dad had his own business. They left family behind. How are your family? How is your parents? How are they doing now in the United States, having had to give up those things in their native country? They still struggle today to find community. They know there's people out there that are also undocumented or that are also part of mixed status families or that also have kids that are DACA status. So they know the struggle. They know that there's people that also have this same struggle, but they have such a hard time connecting with their own community because they are scared because we don't know who or when or what event could happen that could lead to a possible uh, getting pulled over by a police officer, getting arrested by an ICE agent, and getting deported. So we are consistently, and from what I can remember from when I was very young, um, they don't go out. They don't have friends. They don't have a community to support them because they are afraid. So they are well. They're doing their own thing, but the emotional support that they need to have a healthy a, a healthy mental state, right, and feel comfortable where they're at, they're not there yet. And again, this morning you're listening to part two of our two-part series on immigration. In the studio with me is Sandra. Sandra has family members who are of mixed status and undocumented. She's here this morning to share her story. Now, Sandra, you mentioned that you came to the United States on a visa for medical reasons. Um, let's talk about your status today. First of all, getting a tourist visa by itself was difficult. And so that's what you got to get here. That's what, that's what we got. And that's what a lot of people actually end up getting um, is to tour the country and 
we took a lot of time. It took a lot of money. It took a lot of paperwork. Uh, we had to prove that we had a business in Mexico that we had to go back to. So we wouldn't stay in the United States for a permanent period of time. We are also given a specific amount of time to tour the country, leave the country, and then we can come back in uh, for another six or four, uh, four months at a time to tour. When we first came in with the tourist visa, we thought we were only going to be here a couple months just to get uh, my health checked and see what treatment plans were available. And we decided that the treatment was so good here that we were going to exceed the two years that we were granted to stay to tour the country. Because we decided to overstay our visa because of the medical reasons that we were originally here for, we became undocumented. Now, as a minor, you don't, you're an undocumented minor, so there's no real penalty until you turn 18. But obviously your parents, my parents in this case, overstayed their visa as well and became undocumented. All right. And with that, we're out of time this morning. Sandra, thank you so much for sharing your story, your personal story. I really do appreciate it. And I know that this will help other families. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that's it for part two of our two-part series on immigration. If you missed either part, part one or part two, all you have to do is go to your favorite podcast app like Podcast One or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. You can also find out more by going to our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear and following us there. Or you can head to Twitter or Instagram at Rodney Lear on air for more information. Well, that's it for this edition of Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. Until next week, be encouraged. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.